Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about Adam's fall and the post-traumatic effect it had on his marriage with Eve. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much that this morning we don't just come as students to study the Bible, but we come as your sheep to hear from the Bible so that we can follow you, our shepherd. Lord, so help each one of us to silence every demanding thoughts that would distract us away and cause us, Lord, to have that hunger and thirst within our minds and within our souls, Lord, to hunger to hear and to believe every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you turn in your Bibles here to Genesis 3, I'm going to read the passage again that we have been considering just to get this fresh in our minds. Verse 11, And he said, Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception or travail. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou bring eat of it all the days of thy life. Thou thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face Shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living, unto Adam also, and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, the last time we were together, we saw that Adam and Eve agreed to take off those fig leaf aprons that they had made that cover their own nakedness, and they agreed to allow God to cover them with the coats that he had made for them. And we began to look a little bit at how Adam and Eve must have felt having seen what God had done for them in making these coats of skins. And we saw that as they looked at the coats, that Adam and Eve were filled with amazement. Just filled with amazement. Why? Because it was so thoughtful of the Lord to do that. He felt what they felt. Says in Mark 8.2 about the Lord Jesus Christ, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, he didn't say he didn't have anything to eat, but he had compassion on the multitude because they didn't have anything to eat. He felt for them. They looked at the coat and they saw in this coat, it was so loving of God to do this. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make that coat for them, but he made it because he loved them. Jacob didn't have to give Joseph that coat of many colors, but he did it because he loved him. The prodigal father didn't have to clothe the prodigal son with the coat, but he did it because he loved him. Revelation 1.5 tells us, unto him that loved us, 
and washed us from our sins in his own blood. They were so amazed at these coats because it was so effective. It worked so well. You know, they were naked before God. That was who the issue was, the nakedness was before God. And they needed something that would work to cover them. You know, it says in Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, not the sheep, but the Lord, laid on him the iniquity of us all. All the iniquities were laid on the sheep by God. So it was very effective. It was personalized. They looked at it and they said, this is very personalized. I mean, it says, you know, that unto Adam he made a coat and unto Eve. So Adam's coat fit Adam and Eve's coat fit Eve. He made them very personalized for each one, fit the other. Adam didn't wear Eve's coat and so forth. And speaking of himself in Mark 18, 12, when he speaks about the parable of the 90 and 9 sheep, he puts it this way, how think ye, he says, Mark 8, Matthew, sorry, Matthew 18, 12, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of, one of them, one of them, he said, be gone astray, doth he not leave the 90 and 9 and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that, that one, in other words, which is gone astray. Very personalized, and they saw that. They looked at it, and this coat, and they were amazed because it came at a high cost. It was very high cost. What was the high cost? That was the first death that occurred on earth, the death of those animals to make those coats. That was the first death. Very high cost. And so what is the high cost for us? First Peter 18 through 19, we were not redeemed with corruptible things, the silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Very high cost. They looked at those coats and they said, those coats are different from our aprons because they weren't made by us. And when they took off their self-made aprons, that was emphasized to them. It says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. See, not by works of righteousness which we have done, not by aprons of fig leaves which we have made, but by coats of skin. And then they looked at it, we saw last time, that they saw that it was so much made by God. You know, we talked about the coat label on the inside, said made by God, that's what it said. All right, so Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. The that does not refer to the faith. The that refers to the salvation. You're saved, and that salvation didn't come from yourself. It came from God. In fact, it's called in Ephesians 2.8, it's a gift of God. It's a gift, something that God gave. So we saw also last week that Adam was content. He left the beautiful garden of paradise. He could say, I got the coat. That's all that matters. I got the coat. And that was a lesson for us. Now, every time Adam looked at this coat, it was a constant reminder also to him that I caused that death. I did that. Every time he looked down that, he could say, I caused that death. And so they caused Adam to think that I just caused that death. 
you know, I just spent my time, Adam could say, I just spent my time studying and carefully examining every aspect of these animals and sat down there and said, what should we name this one? And, or what should I name them? And he named each one, see, because he was involved in the ways of the animals and the lives of them. These were like his friends. These are his pets, these animals. And so now, in shock and horror, they see that because he sinned because Adam sinned. They watched the slaughter of his two of his friends. And with the blood dripping, I don't know, maybe the blood was still dripping off the coat and he's put the coat on and maybe there's some blood that's getting on him uh, as a result of that. And he's looking at it all and he's in shock. He's absolutely in shock. Was that really necessary? Did it really have to happen that way? Well, it wasn't Adam's department. It was God's department. And God's department speaks in Leviticus 17.11. And he says, The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It's the blood that makes an atonement for your soul. It says there in Isaiah 53, 8, when it talks about him being taken from prison and from judgment and people asking the question, he hasn't even had time to get married and have a start his own generation. Who's going to be his generation? Because he was cut off, just killed, cut off, right at the roots, out of the land of the living. And then it gives the explanation. It says, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. For the transgression of my people, God said, he was cut off. That's the reason why. So all of this comes to rest in their minds as they look at the coat. Then they look at the coat and they say, boy, you know, I mean, picture him standing there for that moment. And, you know, they've taken off or God's taken off those silly aprons of fig leaves and they're laying there in a pile. And he's wearing the God-provided coats of skin. And so he's looking at the fig leaf, the aprons of the fig leaves. He's looking at his coat. He's looking back and forth. And there's a real moment there of a change in confidence. There's a real change there. You know, I mean, if you grab your camera, take that Kodak moment. It's a change confidence which occurs there. Because before that, Adam says now, we put a lot of work into this Eve, so you wear these apron skins and I don't know what she said. Maybe she said, okay, I'm not sure. But anyway, they had confidence in those fig leaf aprons. That's all they had. That's all they had. But when it was revealed to them, so to speak, that God had the better, in other words, the coats of skin, they gladly took off or let it be taken off their fig leaves, and they cast them down like that. And they're looking at that pile. This is better. This is by God. This is by me. And so there was a change in confidence there that took place. Like it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where it says, by grace you're saved, like we just read. But then it goes on, the next verse, and says, not of works, not that pile of those fig leaf aprons, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because they could say, oh, we made those, those were nice. In Galatians 2.16, it says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, by the fig leaf aprons, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's why it says in Isaiah 64.6, We are all as an unclean thing inside. And all our righteousnesses, those fig leaf aprons down there, are as filthy rags. And it's filthy rags, that's what it says. 
All right. What we've seen in Genesis 3-6, very, very simple verse, very short verse, a few words that describe the deliberate act of Adam and Eve. And because of that deliberate act, everything begins to deteriorate. I mean, it says there in Genesis 3-6, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. There's a few words. Gave also to her husband, and he did eat. And that was it. That was it. And God promised in the chapter before, in verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17, there would be an immediate fatal consequence. An immediate fatal consequence if they did that. Ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day, he said, that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely, there's no question about it, surely, he said, die. And there was a death. There was an immediate death. There was the death in a relationship. There was a death in a life-giving relationship. In a relationship with a life-breathing God. The God who breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. And that was the beginning of the relationship. That relationship was dead, was broken. And Adam, who had his soul life from God... Now, Adam had a dead soul, or no life in him. And so God immediately went about, as we've been seeing here, to restore that relationship. But it had to be based on Adam's decisions also. As we mentioned, he had to agree to take off those apron fig leaves and agree to let God clothe him in the coats of skin. But that was not the only relationship that died with the fall. What's the other relationship that died with the fall? Let me give you a hint. The woman that thou gavest me. <laughs> what other relationship died at the fall? The marriage relationship died at the fall. It was a death in the marriage relationship. That's also a marriage relationship. That's also a relationship of life, right? Because when that relationship goes well, we have babies. And that's life. And so there's a death there also. But now we're going to see how God is immediately going to go into action to restore that relationship also, which needed it. You know, that marriage relationship, that started off so good. I mean, Adam, you know, with his Genesis 2.23 words, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. Oh, she's flesh of my flesh. You know, I've been waiting so long for her. My name is Ish. Man, she'll be called like me, Isha, woman. And so he says, oh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And so that's the way it was. He couldn't get enough of her. He couldn't get enough of Eve. He couldn't get close enough to her. He couldn't be with her enough. And he says, you know, she called Isha. You know, he might as well have said, my woman. That's my woman. Because he was saying it's from bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. So you color now Adam pulling Eve close to himself. Okay? A, a big smile on his face, big, you know, it's so romantic. All right, so that's the way it is. That's the picture that's there. And it's a very, very happy picture. But when you look at Genesis 3, 6, and you see what Eve did, she took of the fruit thereof, did eat, and gave also to her husband, and he did it. She set out to destroy the marriage. And it was a very fast deterioration. What do we see? We see Eve getting in the driver's seat, dominating over Adam, pulling the fruit off the tree, eating it, bringing it to her husband, 
And when God told Adam in Genesis 3, 7 what the problem was, he said, you let Eve lean on you. Well, he didn't say it that way. He said, uh, you hearken to the voice of your wife. And he said, uh, and because, you know, we can almost hear Eve saying, here, eat it. I ate it. You know, there's no death, you see. Just be like me. Eat it. So anyway, friendly persuasion. And Adam did. Tom, today we saw that the first marital conflict was between Adam and Eve. And it seemed like what began there has continued even today. So with many marriages in turmoil and peril and needing of help, what is the key to marital harmony? Well, yes, this is perhaps the greatest crisis in the, in the Christian church today, is the crisis of marriage with divorce so common and yet it's, it's an absolute tragedy. And so it's very good for us to look at what we're seeing here before us with Adam and Eve and to ask this basic question, how do you get along? How do you keep a marriage from going on the rocks? What's the key to marital harmony? Well, we can think of several things. But maybe the, one of the first ones that comes to our mind is, first of all, before getting married, make sure that you're equally yoked, as it says in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with the unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? You know, before getting married, recognize that marriage is an opportunity to have fellowship with another person. It's an opportunity to have communion with another person. And so what we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ want to have fellowship with is righteousness to unrighteousness. A believer is a person who has the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. A person who is not a believer does not have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he has unrighteousness. And Paul said, in essence, he would say to two people who are contemplating getting married, one a believer and not one a non-believer, he would say, look beyond the honeymoon. And when you're sitting down together and you're just the two of you and you want to have fellowship, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? There is no fellowship there. And then he says communion. A person who is is in the Lord Jesus Christ is, as he said, the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. And so you have light within you because the Lord Jesus Christ is inside of you and he is light. But a person who is not in the Lord Jesus Christ is in darkness. Paul said, you were darkness. And so Paul is saying here again, look, for those times when you are mar- when you've been married a long time and you're going to sit down in your rocking chairs on your porch or in the couch within your home all alone, or you're going to sit down together at a meal table and you're just together, that's an opportunity for two spirits to commune with each other. But if one spirit is light and the other spirit is darkness, Paul is saying, think what communion hath light with darkness? So the first thing to have marital harmony is to make sure that both of you 
Both of you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are both believers, that as the both of you draw close to your common hub, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will experience the drawing together closer of yourselves to each other as you grow individually closer to your common love, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. The second thing, is to is is just very simple in in marriage to love each other just simply love each other now that doesn't mean the 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 the, the passionate physical affection it goes beyond that because it says in 1 Peter 4:8 defines for us what love says it says and above all have fervent or hot love charity among yourselves. And again, he's not speaking about physical affection because he says, for charity or love shall cover the multitude of sin. So the temperature of your love is measured by how much you cover the sin in the other person. To cover the sin in the other person is to not keep bringing up the sin of the other person. It's to overlook, it's to ignore, it's to it's to it's to cover the sin of the other person. That's love in action. And so he's saying have love, hot love toward each other. Hot love toward each other is to cover the sin in the other person. To when you look at the other person, see as God sees, see the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that that person has been clothed in. That's what it means to cover the multitude of sins, which God does. God commands us husbands especially, he says in Ephesians 5.25, he knows we have a problem. So he says, husbands, love your wives. And lest we should say, what does that mean? Does that mean to, to rush into the heat of passion? No. Paul says, love your wives even, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Sacrifice your interests. Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice talking what may not seem to be interesting to you to talk about. That's giving yourself as Christ also gave himself for the church. It says in Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Don't hold a grudge. Don't think of what she did to you and therefore you'll never forgive her. That's being bitter against her. Give it up. Throw that bitterness into the sea as the Jewish people sometimes would do before Yom Kippur as they would take and write things and and then cast those into a river or sea. In other words, do that in, in, in essence. Cast your bitterness into the sea and instead love your wives. Don't be bitter against them. It says in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So we have an opportunity within our marriages, both husband and wives, to show that we are born of God and that we know God because as we exercise love to our spouse. And 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So in a sense, 
Of course, we have a special relationship, spouse to spouse in a marriage. But also, if believers, that's part of the believing body of Christ. And so therefore, he says, let's love one another because that's what God has done for us. It's very important to realize that in marriage, God had joined together. That's what it says and also in Malachi 2.15. Did not he make one? God made one. And he says in there that we should take heed to our spirit to not deal treacherously. And he gives a title to the wife when he says, don't deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. Remember the days when you were young together. I've been married for 43 years. can still remember when we were young. And it's always good to remember how you loved your wife when you were young. She's the wife of your youth and treat her that way. And then, you know, there's going to be things that happen as we've all experienced in the church, among other Christians, and with our spouses, that we just simply have to forbear. We have to forgive. And that's why it says in Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against other, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. This is the way we prove that we know that Christ has forgiven us for our sins when we forgive others. It says in Ephesians 4, 2, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. God knows that it will take patience. He says, forbear. That's why it says in Romans 12, 18, And if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. All of these verses applicable to the church are applicable to our marriages, and that's where the rubber meets the road, and we need to love our spouses. Thank you for joining us today. Would you like a copy of one of Tom Cantor's latest new books? You can have it. Tom Cantor's written a wonderful book about the history of the Jewish people, past, present, and future, as seen through the life of Joseph, as you've never studied it before. You've got to get a copy of this book, so call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Maybe you even know a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel or even a lost Gentile family member. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051 to order the book or to order a Tom Cantor DVD or testimony booklet to help lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening today and join us tomorrow.